When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. God, I need the cycle. What's going on, everybody? Welcome in on Texas Football's Friday edition of the Longhorn live stream. Obviously, we're wrapping up the week. Busy week on OnTexasFootball.com as we've all had updates coming through. Uh, all in all, ready for the weekend, guys. I hope you all celebrated uh, National Margarita Day a little bit yesterday. <laughs> are celebrating for the weekend as well. How are we doing? I, I tried to get Bobby to celebrate it, but, of course, he wussed out. Um, look, I'm wearing my friends with me today. It's playoff basketball time, and – uh, Friendswood's got a second-round playoff game. Look, we don't see the third round very often at Friendswood High School. So, big game against Kempner tonight. So, support my Friendswood guys here. Uh, but, yeah, big week. Uh, DJ, you and I were out on the road. Um, I actually went and watched Hitchcock uh, play hoops in the second round of the playoffs last night. Kelshawn Johnson, a top target who will be in town April 6th. Uh, uh, Rod, we want to hit on uh, – I know we want to hit on some of the uh, – Lance, I think it was Lance Zerline put out the 10 guys that with NFL grades for him on NFL.com. So we a lot to hit on. Bobby Burton put out some great team notes on TexasFootball.com, guys, uh, uh, especially some talk on Trey Moore. We got into that this morning. We can expand on that this afternoon. But, uh, man, a lot going on. Tw- and, by the way, 25 days away from spring football. Yeah, when your team, when your football team is really good, there's a lot of headlines to cover. You know, it turns out, right? Because then you got guys going to the draft. You're covering that, then you're covering spring ball, and you're covering, you know, all the trend. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, the coaching moves for the Longhorns. Uh, still, they got a new special assistant that we have uh, gotten to with Chris Gilbert. He's back. Just a lot to cover. I think that's just because Longhorn fans are passionate. Because when your team's really good, man, uh, you want to know about all the all the details, all the well, ins and outs. And here's the other thing, guys. We now care about SEC spring football. Florida Gators start spring March 6th. Great so point, not Jerry. everybody starts on the 20th like Texas does. Yeah. Some teams are starting two weeks from now. So we have all that, too, is that the SEC schedule. Hey, Kalen DeBoer's first spring practice at Alabama, what's that look like? I mean, the guys on Texas's schedule, uh, Kirby Smart in the Georgia spring, right? I mean, so there's a there's a lot to uh, to, to cover and a lot to care about right now if you're a Texas fan with this SEC move. Because before you were like in the Big 12, I don't really want to look at the SEC. It's going to be hyped up all spring. But now you're like, all right, we're part of this. Let's go. That's true. Great point, Jerry. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, we're getting excited, obviously, about the rest of the SEC, but there are some some housekeeping notes that we got to take care of here. Obviously, Bobby's notes from this morning. If you haven't read them yet, go over to On Texas Football and check them out. Uh, he mentioned a couple guys that are a little bit limited right now in offseason winter conditioning workouts. Those guys are Matthew Golden, the Houston transfer, uh, the Alabama transfer at tight end, Amari Nyblack, and Colton Vosick, who's kind of dealing with a little bit of a an ankle injury, it appears. The other two guys are uh, – uh, dealing with some some foot problems. So uh, something to monitor right now. Obviously, we, we hope to see them on the field, especially for Colton Vosick, who we've yet to see yeah. on the field in the college football uniform just yet. He's a guy that Texas was very high on coming out of Westlake. Uh, that was a big recruitment win when you flipped him from Oklahoma. Now it's about seeing what he can do on the field, and this spring is supposed to be really big for him. 
Yeah, I think uh, here's the main thing. None of the injuries are thought to be serious, right? I mean, so uh, boots are precautionary. Um, DJ Campbell wore a boot, for instance, last year before a couple of games, right? On a Monday, Tuesday before games. Mm -hmm. uh, so the boots are precautionary. We're not hearing anything about serious injuries. Um, you know, will Texas limit some guys in the spring to be ready for next year? Uh, highly possible or probable. We're not saying who, who that is right now, but we don't think any of these injuries are uh, thought to be serious. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking labrums and knees and, and surgeries and out elongated period of time. Uh, so that's the good news. But yeah, Colton Vosick, I mean, we're getting to that point where every every morning on the shows or every evening on the shows, people are asking, talking about who they, who they want to see. Who do we want to see in the spring, man? We're, we're at that point right now. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, right, it's, it's an exciting time because, look, 17 early enrollees. What do those guys look like coming in? Then you have the portal guys. I mean, uh, so there's 20-plus there's new members of this team uh, that are going to suit up as Longhorns for the first time here uh, starting uh, March 20th. So a uh, uh, big couple of weeks ahead of conditioning as they finish off the spring conditioning under Tory Beckton before they turn their full attention uh, to spring football. Yeah, I mean, uh, injuries of any kind are, you know, that's a test for your roster construction, right? I mean, you, it, those injuries, if Texas, it takes a really deep team right now, and actually, it's going to make way for other opportunities for other guys to get reps, for the guys to showcase for the coaches. They're not serious injuries, so nobody should be freaking out, as you guys mentioned. But, you know, I always look at it. Injuries are a part of football, natural part of it just will happen. Sometimes you have the really bad injury luck where, you know, significant positions go down where you don't have, you know, six uh, uh backups that are capable and competent uh, or you have, you know, kind of the good injury luck where you only have a few major injuries. I mean, Texas lost their starting running back this past season, right. To an injury. Uh, and that guy, how good is that guy? He's still the number one running back on everybody's board. Mel Kuyper, pro football focus, Matt Miller, everybody still got to miss Daniel Jeremiah, number one running back on the board. And he got injured. That's just shows you, you know, the film speaks for itself. But I digress. Getting back to it, injuries are a part of this. Is this is why stacking those classes that you talk about, Jerry? You talk, you know about it, CJ too. Stacking that classes of talent is so important because the injuries will come; they're inevitable. How can your, you know, at running back for Texas, at O line for Texas, they had some some injuries. You know, how can your roster be able to to to, to sustain those injuries and still keep a high level of play and a certain brand of football that you want to play? I mean, that's what it's about. Texas had injuries at quarterback. But your quarterback room is stacked. That's that's the test for your roster in football because everybody's going to deal with injuries. It's inevitable. And by the way, we've got a lot, a lot going on the 40 Acres uh, basketball. Obviously, I'm not on the 40 Acres. They're on a plane headed to uh, uh, Lawrence, Kansas, to play the Jayhawks tomorrow. Uh, look, not a must-win game for Texas. You don't want at Kansas to be your must-win game. Texas needs to get to 8-10 and 10 in Big 12 play. Uh, to stay in that uh, NCAA tournament talk. Uh, I think right now they're in, but they need to get to 8-10. and 10. Uh, You know, home games against Oklahoma State and Oklahoma should get you to 8-10. and 10. Three tough road games left at Kansas. Kansas had a week all week to prepare, which means not prepare, which means get healthy to me. Kevin McCuller uh, hadn't been 100% for a while, missed that Texas Tech game, and you saw how much Kansas struggles offensively when McCuller's not there. I mean, they went up there and got manscaped, 79-50, right? I mean, it was bad <laughs> in Lubbock. So uh, it's going to probably be a full full speed, healthier Kansas team for Texas Saturday. Uh, then you're on the road at Texas Tech. I mean, so tough couple of road games coming up for Texas basketball, softball team, uh, smoking the competition right now, baseball team 
off to a strong start as well. Uh, we're going to be taking a lot of questions uh, from you guys today. Uh, so whenever CJ re is ready for that, we'll also get out of our recruiting stops we've made this week. Uh, like I said, the fun thing about real quick on recruiting, the fun thing about going to high school basketball games where, where football recruits are playing to me. And I went to watch Hitchcock because they're number one in the state in 3A and they whipped everybody in one state last year and they beat Anahuac 82-50 last night and could have beat them by 100. But it, you sit in the stands. I was sitting fourth row, I think I was sitting, fourth, fifth row, and you hear the conversations behind you. And the conversations around Kelshawn Johnson, where everybody in Hitchcock will be surprised if he's not a Texas Longhorn at some point. So there, there's a thousand RPMs, crystal balls, whatever you want to say. But uh, the Hitchcock community thinks Kelshawn Johnson will end up at Texas. That's not me putting in a pick. That's the town of Hitchcock putting in their pick. So uh, that's what's fun about going to high school basketball games where there's football prospects. It's a bunch of water cooler talk at halftime. And hmm. you just hear it all. You can walk around <laughs> or you can just really listen in the stands. And, and you, you hear a lot of things. And Hitchcock's picking Texas for Kelshawn. Nice. Certainly a positive like sign, Jared. I, I wanted yeah. to keep it there on the recruiting side of things. You've obviously been, you know, uh, very high in the corner of Kelshawn Johnson since he really started com coming on the scene lately. You've seen him a number of times uh, in person, in weight, in the weight rooms, workouts, whatever it might be. Basically every environment that a recruit uh, will go through in the high school days. On the court, what's he like? And, I mean, ha have you seen the, the flexibility increase since your first time watching him? Yeah, so I posted three photos from last night on OnTexasFootball.com in one of our threads that I took right there behind the bench. Uh, look, Kelshawn, is, he's one of those – he reminds me of a state of Florida skill guy. And it's because he's at Hitchcock, a smaller school, and he goes from football to basketball to track. So how many days does he spend in a weight room in a year, Rod? What is he, 10 maybe? I mean, yeah. 12? It ain't yeah. a lot, right? Yeah. It's not a lot. And in the summer, you play pickup ball. That's just small school life, right? And not to say he doesn't work hard and that staff doesn't do a good job. It's just different when you go from sport to sport to sport. Um, but I'll tell you what he did in basketball. His his athleticism, his quickness, his speed, his acceleration, tran uh, that translates instantly when you watch him play on the defensive end, right? He plays point guard for them. They don't really have a point. Uh, but defensively and in transition, man, you see he is a high – I think he's a top under – football prospect in the country and a guy that could have a long career but he's a, he's got that wiry strength to him that's not even close to filling out I mean he's 5'11 and change 165 probably maybe 163 if you put him on the scale but he's going to be a 180 pound guy that's going to be really strong once he gets into a college strength and conditioning program there's no doubt and I've said this before about him and I and, and you talk to like the trainer at Hitchcock you say these, they all say they ha he has no idea how fast he can be because he goes from sport to sport to sport, and he's never done any track training. They they believe he could run 10 3, 10 wow. Goals wow. if he had trained for track. So Shit. we'll see if he, but again, he's going to be late starting track this year because they're expected to go back to the state tournament. If they go back to the state tournament, you're talking March 7th, 8th weekend. So he doesn't start really start track workouts to the following week, so probably won't run for two more weeks. So he's late getting in the track. It's going to be hard for him to hit that 10-5 area, in my opinion. But if he can get down to that 10-6 area, not really training for track, coming out of basketball, pretty good sign of his upside as an athlete. Wow. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. 
10-3 would be an incredible time. That's up there with just about anybody in the state that you'll see this cycle. Uh, Jerry, I wanted to keep it with you real quick. Uh, AJJ Sports had a question about Marcus Harris, the, obviously the wide receiver out of modern day. Texas has been around in that recruitment for a little bit. Uh, what do, What's the latest on him? What's the What, what are you hearing in terms of Texas's pursuit on uh, Marcus Harris? Texas is recruiting Marcus Harris on a modern day. The question is, is Texas actually going to have an out-of-state receiver in this class? I mean, I think there's a possibility to do in Pascal, in the last couple of classes, you were thinking, yeah, they definitely will, right? But DeCorey and Moore, they're going to recruit through the whistle. The LSU five-star Duncan. Well, by the way, you want to see somebody that looks great in a track outfit, just go look at him. Um, I mean, <laughs> he's looking really good physically, guys. I mean, they were <laughs> – Rod, I don't know if you saw us. Duncanville went 40.66 in their second meet of the year in the four by one. 4.40.66. And DK Moore is one of those guys. Then you have Kelshawn Johnson, Kalik Lockett. Okay. I think Kalik Lockett will be in April 6th. He just hasn't put out his dates. I'll be surprised if he's not. I think he'll be in Austin April 6th along with Kelshawn Johnson, right? And that's significant because KJ Lacey's coming in that weekend. So I know I'm long winded on the answer, but I think. Marcus Harris is in the conversation with Texas. I think at one point Texas led for Marcus Harris. He'll probably make that late June official mm-hmm. visit uh, to Texas, but Alabama, Oregon, Tennessee, they're all in it. We'll see. Is Texas going to have an out-of-state receiver in this cycle? I think it's going to be interesting to see. Jamie French, the five-star out of Jacksonville, Mandarin. I spoke with somebody uh, in Jacksonville I've known for years that's connected in the uh, high school and college football world out there, and they – they think uh, talking to Jamie French is circle that he is exp- he's planning to visit this spring, so he's the high high end uh, athlete at the wide receiver position and, and at wide receiver period in the twenty five cycle. But it's going to be interesting as me to see if Texas actually has a out of state receiver in this class. And you, we've talked about you know kind of the the accumulation of talent at each position uh, that we've seen under Sarkeesian. Uh, going back to Bobby's notes from this morning, talking about Trey Moore and his yeah. kind of professional approach to winter workouts so far during his time on the Forty Acres. I think we can all kind of agree, you know, that's been a sigh of relief. You know, could you really count on Trey Moore stepping into the Texas roster right now and saying, all right, he's going to be ready physically and to you know the speed perspective of things. Uh, at, at this level of football. We have yet to see him, obviously, in pads, but the early retor- returns from Bobby were certainly very encouraging this morning, uh, just about how he goes about his business. Obviously, the returns on the field, very encouraging so far. Rod, I wanted to po- po- uh, pin this question to you because, you know, when you start having, you know, guys at each position that, you know, compete day in and day out, I mean, one, how how, how does it really help the entire ecosystem of that defensive side of the ball? But from a, I guess, a more positional approach, you know, what's the day-to-day like knowing that you're in a room right now with four or five guys that are going to be pushing you in winter conditioning, uh, spring football, and, and in summer uh, camp again before putting on the pads one final time to go into uh, uh, the, the season? This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. 
Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Uh, it, you know, Sark's been using that term obsession a lot, right? Obsession. It forces obsession if you want to win that job. Right. I was in a room with a Quentin Jammer and a, a Nathan Vasher. <laughs> Later on, a young, uh, you know, Michael Huff, a young Cedric Griffin. Those guys, I mean, they were hungry and they were really talented. And it drives you really to a different level of work ethic. And like I said, it, it's it's a borderline obsession. Um, so my my goal was to stay, <laughs> you know, to stay after practice. And then Nathan Vasher is like, hey, man, can I see how to practice, get some of that work? And I'm like, yeah, you're my teammate. Let's do it. I'm also competing with him. So when we, I'm, try, I'm trying to stay even longer. So when we go back in, I'm, got, I'm trying to go to the weight room. I'm trying to go watch some film um, because I'm trying to do extra. Right. And then you can push each other to that extent. And that's I remember that happening with me and my man, Nasty Nate. I remember that being the case because he was such a great player. He was unbelievable. And, yeah, I was paranoid about my spot. I should have been paranoid about my spot. Right. And I think that that force that starts to develop within the competition of a room, I think it's I think it's happened at Texas, the running back position. Right. When you start to have so many high level NFL caliber guys in one room who all have that borderline obsessive mindset about winning that spot. My man Ahmad Brooks lost his spot and then wanted back at another job. He was so obsessed about it. He lost his cornerback spot because that me and Quentin Jammer end up winning that spot. And then he ended up winning a spot at safety when he originally came here and started as a corner. But it was that there when you get to that point where um, you know, everybody in that room essentially has an NFL ceiling. That's where we were at that time. And I think you know, that's, that's that's the hope for every room on the 40 acres, right? That you get to a point where you're stacked so many classes, all these guys have NFL ceilings. Ultimately, I mean, that pushed me to be an all-conference player and an all-American because I had to do more than these other great players that were around me and behind me. And Coach Akina, he used to set it up where you would we in the in the DB room you would sit in the front as a starter and then the backups would sit behind you and then so on and so on. And trust me, there were a couple of times in there and it is, it is mentally devastating when coach Kenny goes, no, 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 no. I need your guys to switch spots. Oh man. And you walk in there every day thinking to myself, I, I don't want that moment to happen to me. So you come in early, you stay late, you work your butt off in that room and you want to establish that kind of competitive culture all throughout the team. We were brothers. We were brothers. There's no doubt. I love those guys, but I'm a competitor uh, and we were competing against each other. And that was my spot. Uh, and, and no matter who came in that room, they just want the way they turn. That's my spot. I'm going to earn it. I'll put in more work than you. I'll, uh, I'll I'll perform and execute at a higher level to make sure that I can keep that spot. And we had that that competitive mentality. And, and you're right. It just pushes every position group to be the best they can be. And then when those position groups start going against each other, you get to the point where the practices are easier than most of your games. Now, you're going to the SEC, so that's not going to always be the case. It'll probably be easier than 70% of your games. But you're going to get such great talent in practice that you don't see like talent like that with stacked rosters week to week. You see it when you play at Georgia. You see it when you play at Michigan. You're going to see it when you play, you know, teams like that, right? Then you'll see teams with like rosters, um, Oklahoma. But you don't usually see that, and that's where you want to get to. And there are like four or five teams across the country 
that have that that luxury and that benefit of the practices being much tougher than most of their games. Uh, by, by the way, uh, Cameron, uh, he had one of the funniest comments in our chats of all time. Uh, so Cameron Parker, that was funny. You don't don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. But it was pretty what? fun. Hey. I, uh, Hey, Rod, AJJ Sports has a question I want you to address because while you're talking about it. Which DB currently at Texas do you think has the highest NFL upside? Potential? Oh, that's good. Um, it's hard not to say Derek, right now Derek Williams. Derek Williams and let you go from there? <laughs> I was about to say it's hard not to say Derek Williams. It's just that's it's really tough. I mean, Jade Barron's an NFL player. McCoubin's an NFL player. Um, but if you're talking about upside that if, the, if this guy reaches his potential – what they what they're you know what they're capable of uh he he's he's a guy that can win win the thorpe right he's a guy that could be in that in that rarefied air i think he can cover like a corner i think you could play him at nickel and i think he honestly his skill set would translate really well but covered skills like that at safety oh man yeah you can make in the nfl you really can make a whole lot of money and you can get drafted high as a safety if you can prove you can cover and make plays on the ball, and I think this year you're gonna see him make more plays on the football too. So hard to say, hard not hard not to say. Derek Williams. I love me some Malik Muhammad though too. I'm a big fan of his natural man-to-man coverage skills. He's long, he's rangy. Yeah, I mean exactly. I mean he's long, rangy. I mean that's a guy that you know if he reaches his ceiling, he can get, he can be a you know a one a day one or two guy in the draft. I mean I think he's got that kind of ceiling on him. Whether these guys reach the ceiling, ultimately that's about what we talked about. You know, the previous rant I just had, right? What's the work ethic? How much time are they putting in? How much film study are they putting in? How obsessed are they are with their technique, with the perfect rep, uh, with becoming a student of the game, all those things. Uh, and, you know, I that's why that's why Terrence Brooks, you know, I won't sleep on him either because I've met his dad. It was a is a footwork coach who also played ball uh, at the college level, played in the league. You know, there's something about that pedigree, um, him being an old soul, you know, he could take a leap this year. This, the secondary should be a strength this year. If it's not, I'm going to be very disappointed. It's the only – it is the only position group, offense, defense, or even special teams, that hasn't improved dramatically since the day start got here. Every other position group, D-line, linebacker, you know, running back, quarterback, wide receiver, O-line, you name it. Jeff Banks been doing a great job. You name it. Every group has gotten better. You can't really say that secondary's gotten dramatically better because I think it was one of the last phases of roster construction for Texas. I, I think evidenced by the, the last recruiting class with five DBs and you're bringing in McCuber to look at what the what the liability on defense was for Texas, right? Pass defense. That was one of the big ones. Uh, pressure, too, with pass defense. I think they're just addressing it. I think they found out, like some coaches do earlier than others, there's some things you just can't coach. You got to recruit them. They're recruiting coverage now. They're recruiting coverage skills. They're recruiting foot speed back there. They're like, nah, we can't coach that. We tried to in the secondary, and it didn't work. We were able to coach up the linebackers. We were able to coach up the D-line. These are guys we inherited. They're now going to the NFL, play at a high level for you. This coaching staff can develop. There's not a doubt. But there's just some things you don't want to try to develop that. It's going to take you too long. And coverage is one of them. They're recruiting that now. Hey, Ron, I'm, I'm right there with you with the Derek Williams love. I, yeah. I feel like he's the easy guy to point to. Uh, I actually liked what AJJ Sports said again. I mean, I, I feel like Terrence Brooks a little bit gets overlooked. I agree. Uh, but to your point, Texas is adding another piece to this secondary. And and uh, Andrew Makuba, who, you know, we talked about it a little bit, the way too early mock drafts had him kind of in that third or fourth round. He yep. wanted to return for another year. 
you know, boost that stock a little bit. I'll ask both of you guys because I think it, it'll be an interesting uh, exercise here. When you add someone like Andrew Makuba to this safety room, what's a good year for him? Because he's accomplished some pretty successful things already in his his college career. Now he's joining a secondary in which, as we've talked about, wasn't necessarily the strength and might be lagging a little bit behind in terms of positional uh, production for this program right now. When you add Makuba to this group at the end of the year, how, how could you kind of evaluate and assess a good year for him as a Texas Longhorn? I, I don't think I'll start here. I'll let Rod get from a technical standpoint, but I, I'm not going to start with a stats number on him at all. Um, I think this comes down to does Texas end up in a college football playoff? And can you look at that position as being a big reason they took Texas took a big step at the safety possession position in the secondary? And that was part of moving into the SEC still ended up in the college football playoff. Yeah. I think if I'm the believer of if you're really good players, have we talked about before last year? If you're really good players, have really good seasons, that means you want won a lot of games, right? We talked about it before the season. If um, if Quinn had a decision to make, if if the D line guys draft stock went up, if the if Worthy and Mitchell and Sanders were being talked about as first second round guys, if all those things happen, Texas will have had a really good season. Yeah, I think we're looking at the same. And Makuba is an experienced guy, three years starting Power Five football. He's played in big games. He's had big expectations. If he comes in as part of a uh, safety position secondary that ascends, uh, not to be one of the tops in college football, I'm not saying that, but just from last year to 24, then I think that's going to be very positive. Yep. Um, no, I agree with that. I think you're right, Jerry. I think it's the overall improvement of the secondary, right? We're just looking at them as an overall unit to improve in their coverage, pass defense, and splash plays, making more plays on the football. The, the coaches have, and it's kind of, like I said, there's a long old school football debate about in the NFL anyway, where there's a salary cap league, you know, what matters more pressure or coverage? Cause you can't necessarily have both. I mean, if you draft really well, maybe you can get it right. Cowboy the top five defense in the NFL, maybe to do it, but for most teams, they got to choose in investing in one or the other and, you know, different teams. I mean, Belichick was a coverage guy, right? He didn't invest in, uh, pressure investing in coverage. Shano, Kyle Shanahan, he invested in pressure, always drafting D linemen, always acquiring D linemen. So it can be done a number of different ways. Um, and I think for Texas, what they're trying to figure out is because they've been getting pressure, guys. They've been getting actual pressure. The pressure has not converted into a lot of splash plays. In terms of pressure, they've been, they've been top 10 pressure uh, defense the last two years in creating pressure in the Power Five, but they has it converted into splash plays, turnovers, takeaways. Has it converted into sacks and a lot of tackles for loss? It has not. They're trying to figure out how to bridge that disconnect right now. And now I think with the secondary playing better coverage overall, I think you may end up having some of that. Now the pressure will be coming from the edges and not from the interior. And maybe that Rod, was a different. Rod, that was like me did a question. Tie it all together. Bobby's report on ontexasfootball.com. You can go read that on Trey Moore. Okay. To your point, Texas has got PFF pressures the last two years. But they there's do. a difference between that and getting guys to the ground, first of yep. all, or two, pressure-affecting timing of throws and accuracy yep. of throws. Tie that all together for the fans watching. And how important Trey Moore, Colin Simmons, 
Anthony Hill in year two is to the success of the secondary. Yeah, throw Ethan Burke on there too, right? Throw Ethan Burke on there. Um, And honestly, it kind of reminds me of my time on the 40 Acres. Remember, I had Sean Rogers and Casey Hampton early on in my career, and it made a huge difference in the time that I spent in coverage (laughs) because I knew, hey, nobody can block those guys for more than two seconds. If if I'm good at the line of scrimmage, I really ain't got to worry about the route down the field. That guy's not going to throw a clean ball. Uh, we lost those guys, and then our, our, our defense was still good, but it transitioned from being a defense that was built from the outside. And we had a young Coy Redding out there, you know, started recruiting guys like Derrick Johnson, started building with speed. We had a you know eight Quentin Jammer who ended up being a, a top ten pick in the league. We were we were built from the outside in and coverage. I think that's the hope for this group here is that that's how they're going to be constructed. And to your point about the the edges, you you want natural pass rushers. I, I always say that's another thing you cannot you can't really coach. That's you can right. get better at it, but some guys are just natural pass rushers. Man, they got the lean, uh, they got the hip in, they they really kind of get the leverage and the angles, uh, power to speed transition. And Trey Moore, I'm telling you, he's one of those guys. He's a natural pass rusher. You put him in end pass rush situations. You got a Colin Simmons who is just a a, you know, a freak edge, right? He's translates everything to be an NFL caliber edge guy. I love the way I love that you brought up Anthony Hill. Remember, Sark said Anthony Hill was one of their best pass rushers. He says like second best pass rusher behind Byron Murphy on the team. You got to keep that natural. guy. Yes, because he's a na- he, he was a freshman, right? Because natural pass rushers are natural pass rushers. So I think now, and uh, you expecting a leap from Baron Sorrell, expecting a leap. I think Ethan Burks got some of that natural pass rushing ability. It, it may be different if you get that that pressure coming from the edge. I wonder if you can almost can game plan in terms of the leverage you're playing in the secondary about where you're going to flush and where you're going to flush quarterbacks and where you're going to collapse that pocket instead of, you know, having quarterbacks be able to keep plays alive by getting to the perimeter and and extending the play. Maybe now you're collapsing that pocket from the edge, forcing that quarterback up, and then now you can start blitzing and up the up the interior gaps and really collapse the pocket as a whole and make a quarterback's life hell trying to navigate the pocket and also make accurate throws down the field. And we know they want to play more bump and run coverage, so they want to shrink the passing windows, make the quarterback's life difficult by pressuring them, collapsing the pocket from the edges, but also shrinking those passing windows and not giving up easy throws, which they gave up way too much last year. No doubt. I, I'm right there with it. Hey, I wanted to stick on this defensive topic because I think we got the ball rolling here a little bit. Uh, We had a question from Football Junkie here. Uh, I I think the defense has three or four young guys drafted that could be top five players at their position when it's time for their draft year. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think we can all point to Derek Williams as one of them, Anthony Hill Mm -hmm. in that conversation right now. Uh, In y'all's opinion, who else might be able to jump into that elite category right now? Does Texas have anybody on the defensive line that could, you know, eventually have a ceiling that uh, you're looking at a, a day two, maybe day one pick eventually down the road, Colin Simmons. We've yet to see him. But what do you all think about uh, in terms of Football Junkies question here? That's good. Um, it's a good question. Um, I it would, is. It makes you think a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. On Friday, I don't want to do that. I think how, <laughs> how, much, how much stronger Ethan Burke gets will tell his story. Um, how Colin Simmons plays uh, against the run will tell his story. Uh, but Colin Simmons is an ed- edge rusher with his length. I- I- absolutely has that ability. I don't think there's any question. Does Malik Muhammad, Rod, or will that come down to what he runs in the combine? Because it, it- covered skills, I think he's there. Is it going to come down to how fast he runs? 
in workouts combine and things like that. But I, you know, Anthony Hill, obviously one of those guys, I think what's fun about a question like that is somebody's going to emerge from this 23 class or this 24 class, four class hadn't even hit the field. A lot of them in for spring 23 kids, you know, there's so many kids who haven't had their opportunity yet. Uh, Where offensively, it's a little easier to point to some of those guys. I think defensively, you got so many guys that are coming up right now. It's it's kind of hard to pin five guys down, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, if if Derek Williams wasn't playing a, a position like safety, they don't like drafting safeties really high. It's weird. Um, so if you can be top five at that position, doesn't necessarily guarantee you're going to be a first or a second round pick. Um, I think the guys in the secondary need more splash plays. They need more of those havoc plays, whether it be interceptions, hands on the football. You got to get your hands on the football. That's what the NFL values, guys that can get their hands. Every, everybody's going to get beat. Every, it's just going to happen. You you play long enough, you're going to get beat. There's some film out there of Rod B getting toasted. That's going to happen. Um, but what they I, what I want to see from my DBs is you make more plays on the ball than you give up. And I think that's the should be the goal of the secondary. And we're going to make more plays than we give up on the football. And I think that this, this group can do that. I mean, I, I really do overall. Definitely. Uh, all right, time to switch gears a little bit. And Juan, I'm sorry I uh, overlooked your your super chat. I'm manning the gears today. I feel like a first-time pilot flying <laughs> solo a little bit. So bear with me Man, uh, if you don't mind. But thank you for the super chat. Obviously, that's, that's big time. Uh, Jerry, this is for you. And it's timely now. Uh, obviously, Texas made a big addition back to their uh, recruiting staff uh, not too long ago uh, this week. But, uh, Jerry, does Texas have a recruiter that has a great H-town? You know, what is that Houston presence that Tom Herman mm-hmm. kind of made a, a strong attempt to go after? Obviously, we know that Texas has some great success in Dallas. We've talked about it time and time again. Uh, you add Chris Gilbert to the mix, you only can assume that that group will be uh, even stronger moving forward. But, but, Jerry, tell us about what type of presence and who on the staff right now has that, those deep connections to the greater Houston area, which we've known uh, can, can really produce some talent. Your guy that volume recruits and hits schools down there is Blake Gideon. Does a really good job. He actually has a big coverage area. When you talk about starting down in Galveston on the island and working your way up, then and up in in Missouri City, Hightower, right? Shadow Creek, all those areas. That's a pretty big coverage area in the Houston area. So he's doing a great job, Fort Bend, Marshall, all those schools. He's doing a great job in the volume recruiting, being out as much as he can per NCAA. Uh, rules, which uh, as long as we can talk about NCA having rules and NCA anymore, but he does a great job there. But when Jeff Banks pops up in Houston, you're, you're kind of like, oh, okay, you know, because he has that North Houston area, but he's also more of a spot rec- recruiter, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that he's been to Decaney twice to see Nick Townsend and to the kinds, but Nick Townsend, right, who could be that edge slash tight end recruit. When he's when Jeff Banks starts popping up, you're like, okay, that's that's a little different. If you're a Texas fan following a kid's recruitment, does Texas have one guy there? I can't point to one guy there. I, I don't believe I don't believe in rainmakers in recruiting anymore because the NILs your rainmaker in recruiting. So I think I think it's kind of like even if Rod, even if Tim Brewster was in in recruiting in the Houston area for Texas right now, NIL still changed the game. Tim yeah. Brewster, he didn't lose many battles. You can lose a battle now and you do a great job. So, like, to be clear, I'm not I'm not sure rainmakers matter in recruiting as much as I, I think it's actually the guys who are really due diligent in terms of 
establishing the right relationships with people, right? And continuing that over a period of time at schools, because that's not always the head coach. That could be yeah. the, that could be the trainer there. That could be the counselor. That finding that right person and maintaining those relationships to have the information is still the key in recruiting. But the rainmakers just go in and get it done anymore. Mm, that game's changed. Yeah, yeah. you got to make it rain. <laughs> yes, exactly. Absolutely, uh, Jerry. To your point, it, it was interesting. Whenever Texas was getting out on the road to go see their 25 commits, who was joining them on those trips? You know, yes. it was Tashard Choice. It mm-hmm. was uh, Jeff Banks going with Steve Sarkeesian as well. And that was to go see Brandon Baker out of Florida and Emory um, Winston out of Georgia. So, so a closer. They basically got a close. They bring a closer with them. But yeah. yeah. So, if well, if so, those are the two guys you got warming up in the bullpen, you got some pretty good arms right there. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's an eighth and a ninth inning guy. So you, you saw Tashard <laughs> Choice. You saw Tashard Choice with an expanded role. The fact that he's at Louisville High with Kyle Flood yeah. and Steve Sarkeesian to see Michael Pasusi five-star offensive tackle. Okay, you're starting to see Tashard's cho- uh, to his role expand with Steve Sarkeesian. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. something to take note of, right, CJ? Absolutely. And I, I wanted to go back to spring football because it's yep. coming, like you said, Jerry, only 25 days away. Uh, it, it's coming close. And we've got a couple questions here. We'll start with this one from Stephen Henderson. Uh, how's Jelani McDonald doing? I mean, oh. winter workouts, he's been a guy that has a lot of intrigue around him, obviously from the versatility side of things. I saw him a number of times in high school at Connolly, uh, also in the All-American Bowl practices where it felt like he was anywhere he wanted to be in that back seven of a defense and he was making plays. And so uh, we talked about it in the off season a little bit. Uh, Coach Choate taking the job at Nevada. I think there were some happy faces a little bit in that coaching office because uh, the the battle for where Jelani McDonald would end up ultimately now points in favor of Blake Gideon in the safeties room. That's where we know he was uh, in bowl preparation for this, uh, the Washington game. Jelani's going to be an interesting cat. And can he crack that too deep is really the big question when you talk about Xavier Phil Smith coming in, uh, Jordan Johnson-Rubel filling in, obviously the addition of uh, uh, Andrew McCubin, and also the return of John A. Barron. What's a good year for, for Jelani McDonald look like, starting with spring football? I'll say this about him. It, it, this is why I think patience is so key. Small school guy that played quarterback, right? Kind of a jack of all trades. Those guys take time. So last year he was learning a singular position, no different than Darian Gillette. For the first time in his really focusing on one position for an extended period of time. This was the first time for him doing that. So that is a big transition year. So this spring should be he should be more comfortable. But Rod, my question to you was when Jelani McDonald was recruited, you could say, okay, in the Big 12, if you were looking at him as a Big 12 player, and you knew Texas going to the SEC, but when you looked at him as a prospect, you said, okay, that'd have been a guy that Gary Patterson would have moved the linebacker. Yep. In the big TCU, but Texas is going to the SEC, so that's a little different for him. Um, safety skill wise, what's going to be key for him to be able to play safety at the power five level in the SEC? Oh, I, well, for, for Texas, it's going to be coverage. I mean, Texas yep. wants safeties that can cover now, that's pretty obvious. The guys they're recruiting, um, a young Derek Williams, and nothing against you know, guys that. That, that aren't necessarily coverage specialists, like a Taft Daddy. You know, Taft Daddy makes plays out there for you. Uh, he can kind of be a stabilizing force out there for you. But they want 
I think Texas wants to prioritize that, and that's what you, you need in the NFL. The SEC, you know, they play uh, big boy football. Um, you need safeties that can cover. If not, they're going to be exposed. And they can be exposed with by formation. Think about this with Texas, right? Texas, this is why Makuba coming in is so big. When, you know, you had safeties out there, they weren't covered specialists necessarily. They were good players. But, you know, Jaron Thompson and, you know, Taft Dadby out there and Keaton Crawford, you know, they could be exposed in coverage. And a lot of teams would run formation into the boundary because Texas didn't travel their nickels. So that was an easy way to get a safety matched up one-on-one and just be able to get at that guy. Uh, we saw Oklahoma State do a lot of that, right, with uh, – was it Presley they have in the slot there? We saw them do that a lot. Three-by-one sets where you can get a safety isolated on that number three receiver a lot of times. You know, that's – we've seen that. Or that the, the tight end, sometimes they'll have a, a tight end on the backside of a three-by-one set, and then they'll try to – expose uh, safeties and coverage that way. We've seen Texas be exposed just formationally a lot of the times with their safeties. You won't have that if you got a guy that can cover. So I think for Jelani McDonald, any of those safeties, if you can't cover, it's going to be hard for you to see the field. I think with the Jelani, it's also worth mentioning where he was previously committed to uh, before Texas came in late. It was Oklahoma State. And, Jerry, you mentioned TCU is very good at going and out, going out and finding uh, talented defensive backs. Oklahoma State – doesn't necessarily view defensive backs as a singular position anymore. You know, you talk about the positionless, the versatility. Uh, they find lengthy guys that they can throw anywhere on their defense. Right now it's Kendall Daniels who's really making uh, headwaves in the NFL conversation. Cam Smith is another guy. A.J. Green, the old cornerback, is one uh, another guy that you can point to and say, you know what, these guys, uh, they like they like the length. They like the opportunity for them to throw uh, big time uh, bodies around versatile in that defense right now. Um, but – I wanted to get to Bengals comments. Bengals entered the chat. <laughs> sure has. Texas should go out and get a safety in the transfer portal. There was a guy from Arkansas a few years ago. Uh, that was pretty good. You know, I think we all know where you're going with this one, Bengal. Uh, and we were hoping <laughs> that iron made sharp, sharper iron with him, obviously. But, uh, you know, it just didn't necessarily work out uh, with Jalen Catalan. But good to see you, Bengal. Thanks for uh, hopping in and chatting with us uh, this Friday. Uh, we got a lot more questions to go. And keep getting your questions in. We got uh, a, a, a 20, 30 more minutes on this one. Right now, I wanted to get to Ryan Wingo because uh, Connor's got a question about Ryan Wingo, the five-star wide receiver uh, that's joining the Texas room right now. I've heard tremendous things about Ryan Wingo so far. Well, I, I'm, I'm different. I've heard he's been terrible, and y'all should forget about him. Oh, <laughs> yeah, terrible. Can't play at all. Done. <laughs> been very few A&M in a year. <laughs> but, no, back to Ryan Wingo. I mean <laughs> – We've talked about Xavier Phil me a little bit, uh, you know, in terms of what he's brought to the defensive side of the ball already as an early enrollee. Yeah. Ryan Wingo, and this really started uh, for me whenever I saw him down in San Antonio again. He's built differently on yes. the offensive side of the ball. Yes. He is spectacular for his size and the way that he moves. It's so fluid. Uh, he can really find separation in the in, in, whenever he's out in routes. That was my biggest question mark for him. Uh, out of high school is would he be able to gain separation from guys who share similar athletics, you know, to him, you know, the speed, the agility, the burst would, you know, would that rather be one of those guys that you can really separate from? He did, he was not covered at all. And I think that when the pads come on this spring, you'll see him in the rotation very quickly, at least until Silas Bolden arrives when things start really crowding up once again, once a veteran coming in with a lot of production. Well, I'll tell you where a guy like Wingo has a real opportunity. And 
This morning, somebody asked on Coffee and Football, could he have a Xavier Worthy freshman year? And the answer to that's no, no because Xavier came in at a time where Texas didn't have anybody at the receiver position. Needed him. And needed him, and he had to go be a, uh, produce big numbers. Uh, it's good news for Ryan Wingo. He's not coming into that situation. He's actually coming into a situation with Isaiah Bond and Silas Bolden and Matthew Golden and John Tay Cook in year two. Yes, UT boy, John Tay, that John Tay Cook. Um, yeah. so, but where I think Ryan Wingo has a chance to impact winning, and he'll play, but we're really chance has a chance to impact winning, Rod. Can he become a red zone guy? With that frame and that vertical ability and that explosive ability, can he be a red zone guy? I mean, that that somebody has an opportunity there. Unless to, unless Sark gets really creative and lines Nyblack out at wide receiver in the red zone or something like that, you know, I think Wingo is going to have a chance there. Now that has that takes nothing away from what he's going to be in the future. I think he's a big time talent. Look, I've yep. said this. He's a more talented prospect than a, than A.D. Mitchell was coming out of high school. And A.D. Mitchell's about to go second round of the NFL draft. So that's how high a ceiling Ryan Wingo has. People have asked about him hitting 22 miles an hour um, already. But, look, Ryan Wingo, he went to Texas being able to hit 22 miles an hour if he's healthy. He ran 10-5, 10-6 as a junior in high school. If you're yeah. hitting that number, you're hitting 22 miles an hour on catapult or whatever. Yeah, no, he kind of he kind of reminds me of like a honestly a, a kind of a mini Roy Williams. I'm not gonna lie, his because he doesn't play like as that. big as he does, but he, he's better with the ball in his hands. But just the freakish combination of you know athleticism, explos explosivity, and speed at that size. That's when you you know what I mean. Yeah, when you see it, at that's it. It almost it just don't even look right when you see somebody that big that be able to move that quickly. And get in and out of breaks. Like honestly, watching the more film I watched on him, I said, "Man, it's, the combination of all those things, of all that in terms of the skill set, reminded me of Roy Williams. Not necessarily the playing style, but just I, seeing the uh, seeing that type of freakish size, the combination of the speed and the agility. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I don't see how he doesn't see the field. That's the case, guys. We're talking about. And, and shout out to my man CJ who wrote a great article uh, over at On Texas Football about the receivers breaking down the new guys coming in transfer portal and John T. Cook. God, we're talking about five guys seeing the field in you know at least significant reps at the wide receiver position. That would be sorry, you know, expanding that circle of trust I talk about a wide receiver. And I, by the way, I am predicting that he is going to do it because. I, I've watched Ryan Wingo, too. I don't see how he doesn't see the field, knock on wood, unless there's something that outside of his control. Yeah, that that wide receiver conversation is interesting. I did do the deep oh, dive man. earlier on on Texas football. If you are interested awesome. in some of the deeper numbers that we saw from last year, go ahead, go check that out, because there are some interesting takeaways there. Yeah. Uh, the number one thing to me was kind of Matthew Golden's usage in Houston's offense. And I think we can all kind of expect a, a different usage here at Texas. You know, we talked about, again, the versatility of this group. They all have similar skill sets and, and traits that they bring to the field. But Matthew Golden was only targeted about eight yards down the field in Houston's yeah. offense last year. You know, he was more of an underneath kind of shallow cross guy or quick screen guy. What kind of changes will Texas and Sarkeesian use uh, with Matthew Golden obviously going at uh, – alongside of Ryan Wingo, a cook, uh, a bond, Bolden, where does he kind of find his mold as well? 
because, you know, the hands weren't great compared to who else Texas was bringing in. What kind of jumps, development, et cetera, can you expect this year with Chris Jackson taking over the the, the molding of, of uh, Matthew Golden? It'll be interesting to watch, but uh, that, that, a really fun article that I was I was really glad I was able to dive into uh, earlier this week to, to kind of give a broader perspective of how these guys might be used. But, but man, it, yeah. it'll be fun. And, hey, we're forgetting a guy, DeAndre Moore. You know, we are. Can Whoa, he- UT, UT boys definitely entered the chat now. Okay. <laughs> what, what? That's a, oh. hey, that's a big claim right there. Wow. Yeah, those, is he? Those is are he five real? What's the uh, track time? Do we, we got the, what's the track time? Well, both these guys? ran 10-8 in high school. I do okay. know, remember, he ran 10-8. So, that's right. I think DeAndre is such a smooth mover running routes that he is – kind of under the radar fast in a way, deceptive fast. He's such okay. a smooth guy. Yeah. In and out of cuts and just getting into is such a smooth he's the smoothest route runner Texas has. I mean definitely. He just and is. I think you see those guys don't sometimes they're deceptive fast, right, Rod? Yeah. Well, just because they they know angles to the football, uh, their releases are usually really efficient releases off line scrimmage, and they know how to get your hips turned, which is ultimately the goal of a, a wide receiver's release. They're trying to get those hips turned one way, so they know exactly how to work you. With Jerry, would you classify Matthew Golden as another guy that's kind of savvy in his route running? You know, he's not a yes. guy with that elite ten five speed, but you watch the tape and you're like, you know, he's got some wiggle to him. Same 10 8 guy in high school. I think I saw him run 10 8 3 his junior year at track meet at Klein Kane. Uh, same guy, speed wise. He's got some power to him in his lower body. He, he's almost, he's not a running back after the catch, but he, he, he's he got power in his game after the catch. So uh, it'll be, I think Sark's going to give him an opportunity in this scheme to have more of those chances or opportunities. And I think that's going to be really beneficial for Matthew Golden. Well, it'll, it'll certainly be interesting, you know, to see how this wide receiving room is used. Obviously, yeah. Sarkeesian, a lot of toys now, a lot of pieces. It'll also be interesting to see who of this group stands up as a leader. And going to Jason Wason's comment earlier, uh, you know, who's looked the best so far through strength and conditioning? We've just mentioned Trey Moore earlier. Xavier Phil Smee stood out. Uh, Ryan Wingo, Colin Simmons has added 20 pounds. For, among the freshmen, those guys have really stood out. Uh, what about captains? You know, what are who are these leaders that are going to step in for, you know, a Byron Murphy, Devondre Sweat, Jalen Ford, Jonathan Brooks, you know, Jordan Whittington. Right now, it's, you know, this is the time where you really start hearing about guys emerging. Jerry, have you heard anything behind the scenes that – I'll say this on a, on a room. I, I've heard the running back room looks, looks tremendous and has in workouts. And that, that, okay. that to me, is not really a surprise. No. Nope. Uh, Jarrett Gibson kind of showed up in Austin already. Man, Christian Clark is a – People that aren't familiar with high school in Arizona, you have to go through a lot of hoops to be an early graduate in high school mm-hmm. in the state of Arizona. And the fact that Christian Clark made it happen tells you he's a focused guy, right? So uh, we know Trey Wisner has been a focused guy since he got to Austin. Cedric Baxter obviously is a focused football player. He came in and was light years ahead in pass pro. I think Jaden Blue, what happened to him the last half of the year, he got that taste in his mouth that, okay, yeah. Now I got something in front of me where year one was really tough, and he thought about he thought about hitting the portal, so and and had decided to at one point. Um, but you know that room is pre- looking really good headed into spring ball. Savion Red obviously has that running back body type, but I think that that room is healthy. I think uh, for captains on the team, I think Anthony Hill wants to be one of those guys. Mm. I, I think he has 
that want to. And I spoke with somebody at Denton Ryan about that over the weekend on Sunday. Um, Anthony Hill's really a focused guy. Um, mm-hmm. And he has been since he showed up. And he's, he's just as focused now after the su- success he had as a freshman. Those guys who don't, you know, I, they call it read press clippings, whatever you want to say. Those guys who keep ascending and don't really level off and understand what this is all about, maximizing their talent, I think have a chance to rise as a, as a younger player, Rod, and become a leader. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, I love the Anthony Hill one, too. Um, talking to him, uh, we did third and Longhorn and got a chance to talk to uh, Anthony Hill. So uh, he, he's actually looking forward to that role. So yep. that's, you know, it's something that he actually is looking forward to. Uh, Jade Barron should be a leader. I mean, Jade Barron and Makuba coming in. I know Makuba doesn't have the familiarity with the roster, so he doesn't have those relationships with the guys, but Jade Barron does. He's been here a long time with those guys. He's a guy that could have went to NFL, but came back to increase his draft stock. You know, the the second, and he this is a guy that talks about wanting to be a coordinator, right? He wants to be a – he doesn't want to be a head coach. He doesn't want to be a coordinator, right? He wants to be about ball, all right? And he's about ball. He watches a lot of film. He's got a really high football IQ. That guy should be a leader in that secondary. I, I remember I couldn't wait for that secondary to be my secondary. He's my secondary. We uh we operate the way I want to. We we gonna watch film and, and making sure that everybody watches film on this time. I'll organize the workouts. You know I'm the one giving the pregame speech. That's I, and I I wanted that. All right, and, and I wanted to be able to measure my secondary up against every other secondary in the country and the secondaries prior to that. So I'll I'll say Jade Barron. I'll throw him out there, man. It, it's time for him. the old line. I mean Kelvin Banks at this point. I mean. Talk about leading by example and the guy's a leader. I don't know how much of a vocal leader he wants to be, but everybody on that team respects Kelvin Banks. So he should definitely be one of those guys. Everybody knows he's going to get drafted real high. He's been playing at a high level since he was a freshman. I remember them dudes, man. Them Corey Reddings of the world came in as old souls. You know what I mean? Almost came in as, you know, guys who were ready for the leadership role that seemed mature beyond their years. I've I've met Kelvin Banks a couple of times. That's him. I mean, even as a freshman guy, see mature beyond his years. And sometimes that's, you know, things you have to go through in life or whatever. But he reminds me of those guys. And now that he actually is a veteran player, he should definitely be a leader. Jake yeah, Major should totally be a agree. leader. Yeah. And, of course, Quinn Ewers. By the way, I've had a, somebody asked where I'm at. I'm like, you know, right now. So I'm going to pick up my camera and I'm going to walk and we're going to see who can pick out where I'm at. It shouldn't be hard. But while you guys talk about something real quick, I rarely do this, but I'm doing this today. Hold on. This is for all you Texas fans out there. Where am I at today? Let's Uh, see. Where am I at? Oh, I kind of reckon. Oh, is he in like the student? uh, Oh, no. No. Who's got it? Who's got it? Oh, what? Hold up. TJ, uh, I'm in T. I'm at TJ's facility. We were catching up today. Nice. I was like, oh, Little Ridge. I was like, Little Ridge, H-Town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so cool. whoever asked, there you go. That's where we're at today. That is so we freaking got, cool. We, we got some uh, requests for you to start blogging, Jerry. <laughs> I'm no DeAndre Robinson, guys. No, that no, is badass. Be. That's nice. That's a that's a nice humble brag right there. I like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, well perfect. I, I did want to ask, while on the topic of leadership, Quinn Ewers, obviously, that's one of the, the, the last pieces yeah. we want to see more of. Rod, when it comes to the quarterback being a leader in your of your program, and this will segue us into a, 
uh, Zerlines, you know, Longhorns in the NFL here in a bit. But for Quinn, what, how important is it for the quarterback of your program and your team to be that guy with the voice? And how does that kind of project him into eventually being an NFL caliber guy? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you if someone's going to draft you to be the face of the franchise, which is essentially what you're drafting a a guy in the first round to be. And we are projecting Quinn to be a first round guy. um, You want to see he's got the ability to be a leader of men right? that he can lead and inspire men, lead, inspire and motivate them. Uh, There's a great documentary. um, Was it? it, it, I think so. I think on Apple Plus about the Patriots. And a lot of the guys on there were talking about, you know, how they <laughs> how they 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 worked for the Patriots, but they played for Brady. Right. It's yeah. like they worked for Belichick, but played for Brady because Brady was our guy. And you do as, as a quarterback, you almost have to take it as a you know that it, it's a burden at times. But that role and that responsibility to have a connection with everybody on the team, because everybody wants to be connected to the quarterback. Right. I mean, you are you are the, the the field general out there and you have to embrace that role. Like I said, it's a lot on guys. I remember my boy Sims, you know, making sure that he spent some time with the walk ons uh, and making sure oh man, I got to go to dinner with the O line. Oh man, I got to make sure I go hang out with the D line, man. So I got to go kick it with with my man, Coy Red. We got to kick with Big Sean in case you it's crazy. But you actually do as a quarterback have to do those things. You got to be close to everybody on the team. Otherwise, guys, you're like, man, I don't, I don't really like that guy. You don't have a relationship with him. Um, so that's, a, that's, like I said, that's a lot on a quarterback. And he's the guy now that's got to organize all the workouts. And one thing about leadership, Kobe Bryant said it best, it's confrontational. Yeah. And, and some some guys have a problem with this part of it. My boy Sims did not. He still doesn't. He's talking trash about NFL players now, about he giving his opinion. Guys, guys at the Super Bowl came up to him, guys. I won't say what NFL players, but he got he got approached multiple times by NFL players like, hey man, I heard what you said about me. Like it was, it got it, they got face to face about this kind of stuff. And Sims did not back down, by the way. He's like, nah, man, I said what I said. All right, I'll back it up with this. But either way, like I said, leadership, you're gonna be a leader, especially at a natural leadership position. You got to be confrontational. You're gonna have to hold other guys accountable. You're gonna have to make sure that, you know, at times, if somebody needs to be called out, you know the way to call them out. Maybe it's a it's something you can do, you know, aside for everybody, but you gotta know, you gotta be in tune with the culture, and you gotta know when somebody is operating outside of that culture or they're they're not respecting that culture. You got to be the guy to help police and regulate that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to Quinn Ewers in that role. I think he's 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 not a he's not a natural vocal leader. I think he's all but admitted that, but he's been working on it. And we've seen him come out of his shell while he's been playing. Like we've seen him get fiery. We've seen him on the sidelines talking to guys. So and this is a guy that we at first remember people thought he was too lethargic. They thought he was too kind of lackadaisical. It's like, man, he needs to. It looks like it looks like sometimes he's out there and he's not as focused as he should be. It doesn't seem like he has the intensity that he needs. But we've seen all of that get better. Uh, body language is big when you're a quarterback. I think he realized that. Everybody's watching your body language as a QB. Nick Saban would talk about that often. Like, man, you can't have bi- bad body language. When he, he said that one, he said, tell Mac Jones this when Mac Jones uh, was you know, before he became the starting quarterback. So Sark is probably here when he said this. He said, I can tell by watching you, not even looking at the play or the result of it, I can tell by watching you what the result of the play was. I can tell if it was an incompletion. I can tell if the wide receiver screwed up. I can tell if it was a big play. He said, you're, he said, as a quote, as, as a, as a, uh, as a quarterback, you have to be aware of your demeanor and your, and the way your body language speaks to people and other people. And I think, you know, he, Quinn's becoming aware of all those little things. 
Hey, by the mm -hmm. way, being a, I've always said a quarterback is like being the GM of the football team. There's the GM of the the football program is Sarkeesian. Quinn's the GM of the team. Your mm. leader's the GM of your team, right? To your point, okay. Rod, you have to have multiple relationships with everybody. You have to understand all every room and your room, right? You yep. have to have it all That's in true. here. That's real. You're the GM of your team if you're the quarterback. Hey, that's probably one of the that. biggest question marks NFL GMs have for Quinn right now. We expect him to take another step forward in his development for the NFL, but that leads us to exactly where we want to talk about is the NFL because the NFL Combine is coming up. Uh, I wanted to uh, – let's see. I hope I shared this correctly. Yeah, the NFL drafts, we'll, we'll be talking about – you know, the 11 Longhorns that are going to the Combine this year. Yeah. Um, I, I hope I know how to make this smaller. Bear with me a little bit. But there's 11 <laughs> Longhorns going. Uh, and, Rod, you talked about the rankings that uh, Zerline over at NFL.com has been yep. able to, to pop up recently. Who could be the biggest riser from the Combine in your eyes? Oh, man, I think there are a few guys. I, that's why I'm so pumped about this group, man. I think – First of all, I think both D tackles are going to improve their draft stock. Uh, you already got Jim uh, Jim Nagy, uh, the executive of the uh, Senior Bowl, saying Tavondre Sweat shouldn't drop out of the first round. Like just that simple. That that guy shouldn't drop out of the first round. We know Byron Murphy is going to be drafted first round, but then you got people saying that Byron Murphy is going to go to the combine and put on the show that he's got those type of physical traits that as a D lineman, he's going to go there potentially and put on the show. And his draft stock is already increasing by people going back, watching the film. I talked about, you know, D tackles overall, half of the highest paid uh, defenders last year in the NFL were interior D linemen guys. That's because they, those guys are becoming highly valued when teams are playing lighter boxes, playing with two deep safeties and they need guys that can clog gaps and demand double teams. Texas got two of them in different ways with Devondre Swint and Byron Murphy. Jonathan Brooks, I I really, man, if his medical evaluations go well, which I expect him to, he's not going to work out. Uh, I think he's going to interview really well. I mean, that guy's draft stock is actually increasing without with him being hurt, in my opinion. He has, he's still the number one running back. Mel Kuyper, Daniel Jeremiah, Matt Miller, uh, you you name a really, you know, John, I believe he's the number one running back right here for Lanzerline too, pro football focus. Everybody got him at the top running back on the board. Now, maybe it's a weak running back class. And, and you know what? That helps him. That <laughs> it helps is a running back. Helps an injured running back, right? Exactly. It's going to push him I, up. I, so. Rod, it's almost like being a high school prospect now. You go play in an all-star game and your ranking drops. It's yeah. actually – the tape is so good for Brooks this year. Oh. Hey, I, I'm in a pretty good spot here, guys. I'm just letting you know. And the storyline helps him out too, guys, because everybody assumed there would be regression in Texas running game. Even myself, I'll put my hand up when you lost Bijan and Rojo. And the truth is – uh, it was negligible. I mean, if there was any regression at all, that's how good that guy was. That helps him a ton because there are a lot of people looking at that part of it that, hey, man, that guy carried the running game even when he wasn't even – and named starter initially. His story is so damn good. I think it helps. Hey, there's I, I one guy on this list. Xavier, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Jerry. Uh, I was to say Xavier Worthy, Rod. I want your thoughts on this. You know what's going to be oh. big for him? Gauntlet drill. Mm. Because, Xavier Worthy? Yeah, because what do people question? Hands. His, yeah, yeah, they, that's if, true. If he Matt Miller up, brought that up, right? Yeah, Matt Miller brought that up. He said he thinks it's overblown. 
Um, his reason was it was overblown because it, first of all, Xavier had the, had had the hand injury two years yeah. ago, and he thought this year he remedied those issues and didn't have the drop issues this year. So when they go back to the film that they'll see that, you know what, actually the, the hands are not that big of an issue. But this is a silly season, the scouting season, and they look for reasons not to draft you. Boom. So he's got to go there and prove that. He's also got to go – listen, he, he's going to run a fast time. There is no doubt about that. Um, but when you have those slight receivers that are slight like Xavier Worthy is, I wonder if, you know, they there are some NFL teams that just don't like those types of receivers. They prefer receivers with more bulk, more mass that, you know, that, that are a little bit bigger. But I think that's honestly, I think that's a little bit of fool's goal. That's a little bit of a miscalculation. I think those guys, depending on the play style, those guys can play in the NFL at a high level. It may it may it may uh, actually push him down the draft, though, just because fewer teams may be interested in him. Of the side. And I'm 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 leaning and workshopping a take right now, but the longer that this offseason and NFL combine and draft prep season has continued, the more I think Ryan Watts ends up drafted. Oh nice. Like you, you know, I, I think that, you know I think there's you. a couple things here. Yeah. If he can test somewhere, if he can run a four five five or lower, okay, I think that'll be enough for him to get drafted. It's not a great you know, the, the depth we've talked about it, Rod, NIL is affecting how many players enter the draft and how many draft eligible players That's there good. are in the back end of a draft. Yeah. It, for a year like that, I think that was a big reason why he ended up entering the draft rather than coming back for another year or even transferring to kind of boost what was a bit of a shaky end to his year in career at Texas. But if he can run four five five, the biggest question mark with Ryan Watts is get off. Can he yeah. burst and can he accelerate? What's he been doing this entire offseason since that Washington game? I bet it's been training for the 40 because he uh-huh. does have great yeah. elite top-end speed. It's all about the get-off, and that 10-yard burst is going to be huge whenever they talk about his combine measurables because a 6'3 cornerback cor- or defensive back that can run somewhere in the four fives, they'll take that. Uh, an extra inch in, in wingspan and height at the cornerback spot is about 0. .07, 0. .08 of a, t- of a 40 time for most of those NFL pr- uh, franchises. I think he might be a guy that sneaks in late. I'll tell you why I agree with that is when I when Sark said he could have ten guys drafted this year. You know what I think he was really leaning on there is the bottom of the draft not quite as strong because guys are staying the extra year in college for NIL. Yep, and I think that Keelan Robinson, Ryan Watts, I think that puts those guys in a draftable position instead of a free yep. agent position. And I think that's why Sark's really leaning into 10 guys being drafted versus eight. He knows that. You know who probably leaves uh, without NIL is Jod A. Barron and Alfred Collins. You know, those are guys who have been around. They have a lot of tape. And and what is that? That knocks Watts and Keelan's draft spot out if it comes down to those four guys getting drafted, right? So that's that's the point. I mean, right there. And that's, I, that's I, 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 I agree with you, CJ, about uh, I love your take on Ryan Watts. I'll just add to this because I'll just kind of piggyback on it. Teams now may be more uh, willing to invest in developmental projects like Ryan Watts because they can put more guys on the practice squad. And they can put them yes. there for longer. And yeah. so now you can put a guy like, no, nah, I want him to just work at safety for a year. Just see, you know, practice. He'll be our practice squad guy. Give us good looks. And then you can transition. So back in my day, you really couldn't afford to do that. Practice squad was just more about 
being able to you can really develop guys there. It's all like hiding players on the practice squad that you wanted potentially to, to, to bring up on your active roster at one time. Now you actually can use it to develop players on the practice squad. And I know it's a little bit out of the conversation here, but the NFL cap did just run up to about 250 million today. So about a $30 million increase per year per team, obviously from what we've seen this past year, that'll be interesting. But, uh, but man, I mean, the, 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 the combines this weekend, spring football is within 25 days. There's a lot of excitement here, and we're going to have you all covered over on On Texas Football and here on the YouTube channel as well. Uh, but that'll about do it for today. Uh, Rod, Jerry, y'all got any last uh, final words here? No, I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to celebrate belated Margarita Day. So I'm going to the Rockets Suns game tonight, taking my Ooh. son. It's his 18th birthday tomorrow. So what better way to celebrate a, a birthday than going to watch KD, KD and Booker combine for about 65 tonight in the Toyota Center? Nice. Luca gave him last night. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> he had a good fantasy night with Luca last night. I'll, I will say that. MVP. He's my yes, MVP. He hey, he's gonna win MVP. That, I agree with that. that. Well, that's enough NBA talk. I know y'all log in here to hear us talk. <laughs> Wait, about we're not gonna break down the All Star game or what? <laughs> There's too much defense in it for me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> But perfect. That'll about do it for today. I really appreciate all y'all, you know, spending your Friday afternoons. Hopefully y'all accomplish some work today. I know that uh, it's a beautiful day out here in Austin. I'm going to go see the sun, the sunshine uh, for the first time this week. So that'll be fun for me. Uh, but until then, uh, go ahead, check us out on, on Texas Football. Hit that like and subscribe button, and we'll be back uh, Sunday night for the Longhorn live stream. Hook them. Hook them. <laughs>